So the Bible reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. And Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. What characterises an Australian? I mean, how do you complete the sentence, Australians are battlers, keen on a fair go, keen on travelling, sensibly cautious about exposure to UV light. Uh, you can probably tell I'm an Australian, but I had to sit a citizenship, citizenship test to become an Australian. Here's a couple of genuine questions from it. See how Australian you are. See if you can answer these. How many states and territories does Australia have? Six states, two territories. Uh, in South Australia, we have a Premier. What do the territories have instead of a Premier? It's a First Minister. Well done. And finally, of course, what is Don Bradman's batting average? No, that wasn't actually a question on the citizenship test. But apart from that, those were real questions. But there were also questions trying to get at something deeper. Australian values. Things like freedom, respect, democracy, equality of opportunity. Questions trying to get at what makes someone not just a citizen, but a good citizen. A citizen lined up with Australia's ideal, ideals and hopes and dreams, even though I reckon you'd be hard-pressed to get two Australians to agree what those things are. 
Well, what about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven, that's God's full, uncontested, good and perfect rule, as opposed to life with sin and all the problems it brings that we know now. See, Jesus has been going about in Matthew's gospel, going about saying, with my arrival, this kingdom has come near and he's calling us to repent, to turn around, to believe and trust in him as God's king and follow him. And that will make you a citizen of God's kingdom. Or put another way, it'll make you a child of God with a seat at the family table with Jesus, fully loved and accepted member of the family. So as we come to Matthew's Gospel today, he take, Jesus is taking a time out with his disciples, his closest followers, to spell out what being a citizen of a heaven, being a follower of Jesus, is all about in what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a famous passage, even if you've never read the Bible, you might have heard things like, turn the other cheek. So here's an outline of where we're headed. First, I'm just going to a kind of introduction, what it's all about. Then we'll look at blessed are thee, spiritually bankrupt, the sad about sin, the showing grace shown, and the disapproved. So blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, blessed are the sad about sin, blessed are the showing grace shown, blessed are the disapproved. Especially with familiar passages, it's important to look at the context. So where Matthew's placed this in the narrative. So we've had Jesus' genealogy, and we've had the introduction to John the Baptist, and his announcement to tell us that Jesus is God's promised rescuer king, with all authority and power to save us. And we've seen Jesus tested in the, in the wilderness and tempted, and he's proved that he's fully faithful to God, fully faithful, and that we can trust him to be our servant king, the kind of king that will deny himself so that he can save us. We've seen that Jesus has come to fulfill God's promise to Abraham that through his family nation, God would bless all nations. And now Jesus sits down with his disciples to talk about what it means to be blessed. So that's the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So before we get into it, what's it all about? What's it all about? So a couple of things to help get our heads around it, what this Sermon on the Mount is and what Jesus means by blessed. So first then, what is the Sermon on the Mount? Because if you have a quick skim read through, you can end up thinking, well, this is impossibly an impossibly good man setting me a bunch of impossibly high standards that I'll never be able to keep. And so we're tempted just to skip past them. But the sermon isn't a bunch of rules. It's more of a map or a compass for redirecting your heart. So we've seen in the last few weeks, Jesus is asking for repentance about a change of heart and direction to making Jesus our king instead of ourself. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets out the heart orientation, the inside out heart values of his kingdom so that those of us, uh, so the heart values of us as citizens of that kingdom. It shows us 
what our hearts are being transformed into through God's work in us through his spirit. So partially in the here and now, and will be completely as described in this sermon in the future when Jesus returns and he perfects us. So this sermon isn't a how to get into God's kingdom. No, it's a what you can expect as someone who is already a citizen of his kingdom. So, for example, my children are Australian citizens on the basis of my wife and I being Australian citizens. Christians are citizens of God's kingdom on the basis of Jesus' work for us and Jesus vouching for us as our servant king. So that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Secondly, what does blessed mean? How do you sign off your emails and letters? It's sometimes hard not to write, hard to know what to write these days, isn't it? Because yours sincerely or yours faithfully sounds a bit too formal for an email. What about kind regards? See that a lot, don't you? Or best regards? Or warm regards? It's getting a bit familiar now. Or this, people write things like, I look forward to your response. That means, don't you dare fob me off. You'd better get on to this. Now, I sometimes sign emails and things off, blessings. So what does blessed mean? Some English translations have happy, but that's not quite right. Because then, uh, say, verse 4 would read something like, happy are the sad. And what does happy even mean anyway? It's a bit of a vague term. No, blessing isn't about how we feel about ourselves, but about how God feels about us. If God is pleased with us, if we find favour with him, if we have his approval, we are blessed. Blessed being, means being in good relationship with God because we're lined up with him and with his King Jesus. So in my original Mancunian, people asked you, if, how are you going? And you might reply, sorted, sorted, sorted. As in, everything is sorted out, it's all good. So blessed means being all sorted, sorted out with God. Maybe I should write a Mancunian translation of the Bible. Sorted are the meek. Now, I'm doing my best in this talk and in the Bible reading not to say blessed. That's often how it's often read, isn't it? Because I think that makes it sound like it's only for monks or something, or it's, or it's some extra level special religious. But this blessing that Jesus is talking about is for all Christians from all nations. So blessed, not blessed. Let's get into them then. First, Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. We're blessed if we know our need for Jesus to save us. We're blessed if we know our need for Jesus to save us. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus is picking up on Isaiah 61 verse 1 and helps us to understand who he means. And that helps us to understand who he means by the poor in spirit. So Isaiah 61, 1, 
says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. These words were words of comfort for God's people in exile, in Babylon. A people who had no illusions about being blessed, about being in good standing with God. Because they'd been carted off to exile in pagan Babylon in utter humiliation. And God had told them directly through Isaiah that this was his judgment on them for their persistent unfaithful, unfaithfulness and rejection of God's good rule. So the poor in spirit are those who know they are in desperate need of God's help. People who know that their prideful rebellion against God, that's what sin is, stinks so badly that they have no hope of making up for it or repairing the damage themselves. The poor in spirit are those who know they need God's help and know they really don't deserve it. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because the kingdom of heaven comes to us through its king, through Jesus. The poor in spirit are blessed because they know that we need to trust and rely on the one who brings us good news, Jesus. We need to rely on Jesus fixing our hearts, freeing us from our sin and its consequences, releasing us from, its, from sin's darkness. The question is then, are you poor in spirit? Do you know your spiritual bankruptcy before God? In our service, we're going to sing a song, Rock of Ages, and it expresses it really well. It goes like this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the mountain fly, wash me saviour, or I die. Do you know that the reality is, when everything is justly and fairly accounted for, that we turn up to any claim for citizen of, citizenship of heaven with a blank form, no processing fee, and a long history of reasons we shouldn't be admitted? It's hard, isn't it? Because we find it hard to accept help generally in life. I mean, I struggled with being waited on in restaurants. I'm much happier with self-service. Because accepting help means accepting that you need help. But the offence of the gospel is we aren't fundamentally good with a few minor blocks in our record. We are fundamentally bad sinful, in dire need of help that we don't deserve. But the good news of the gospel is that the king of the kingdom, Jesus, is that help that we need, all the help we need, if we only trust, believe and rely on him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Following on from that then, blessed are those who are sad about sin. Our next heading, blessed are those who are sad about sin. 
When we lived in England, uh, the new priest at the Catholic Church down the road from our church caused a bit of controversy. Apparently, he was insisting that the blokes who came to Mass sat down and took part in the whole service. Because what they were used to doing up to that point was popping in, hanging around at the back, just taking communion or Mass to be absolved of everything they'd done wrong that week, and then walk straight out again so they could be at the pub for 11am opening time ready to start the cycle all over again. So they were treating communion like it was a kind of a washing powder for sin, with no intention of repenting from that sin. See, it's one thing to know that you're in the wrong. It's another to be truly, at a heart level, remorseful about it. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, God, of course, does comfort the mourning, the bereaved, those who mourn through bereavement. But because Jesus is using language and ideas from our Isaiah reading, it seems that the particular mourning that Jesus is thinking of is our mourning over sin and its consequences. Isaiah 61 again. Jesus has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. So Israel that as I speaking to are grieving because their sins have caught up with them. And we're blessed when we mourn because it's a sign of our hearts turning back to God. So if you find yourself burdened and really cut up about some way in which you failed God and others, well, that is good in its place, a good thing. It shows your heart is lining up with God's rule. It's as you're stepping out of the dark waters of sin that you start to really see how dark and murky they are. It is right to grieve over our sin, but it's also right to accept the comfort that God offers. In Isaiah 61, uh, signs and symbols of despair and failure are replaced with signs and symbols of joy and victory and praise. God promises to transform us into oaks of righteousness, immovable objects in our love, for, love of God. No longer displaying the, fruit, displaying the fruits of our sin, but displaying God's splendour. The good news is we aren't stuck with our sin. Jesus loved us so much, he came to deal with it, to pay for it with his own suffering and death meaning that he can say with full authority and truth, those who mourn will be comforted. These blessings kind of flow into each other. We're blessed knowing that we need saving. And part of that knowing and turning of our hearts means that we mourn about our sin. So that means that we appreciate all the more how much grace has been shown to us. Our next heading, blessed are those showing grace shown. 
Blessed are those showing grace shown. God is pleased with those who extend to others the grace and mercy that has been shown to them. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek isn't a word we use much anymore, is it? And if we do, we probably mean timid or shy. But Jesus has got Psalm 37 in mind, which reads, verse 11, Psalm 37, verse 11, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So Psalm 37 is a psalm that says, don't worry about those who do evil and seem not only to get away with it, but also seem to prosper and do better than the righteous. Don't worry about them, just trust God and he'll sort it all out. So in back to Sermon on the Mount, the next few blessings in verses six to nine kind of flesh out this meekness as having a humble heart in our relationships. So for example, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So this meekness is a humble and gentle attitude to others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. So a humble and gentle attitude to others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. In other words, I know I'm a sinful rat bag, so I'm not gonna look down and be all judgmental of you. When we really get that we're hopelessly lost in our sin without God, then it's harder to hold a grudge against someone for their sin against us, isn't it? When we're mourning over the offensiveness of our own sin, it's much harder to take offence. When we begin to understand the depth and the breadth of God's grace to us, it turns our own hearts to mercy and grows our capacity for grace. You know, I preach at you most weeks here, and you don't need to, you don't want to know all, all my dirty washing, my sin. But I do want you to know that I stand here, or sit here preaching to you, only by God's grace, and by His intervention, His mercy. I'm not here looking down my nose, incredulous at sin, in unbelief, and unbelief. Now, I'm preaching the good news about Jesus from a humble heart that he's grateful for the grace that he has shown me. We shouldn't dwell, overly dwell on our past sin. That would be to deny that Jesus has dealt with it. But we do need to remember just how much grace we've been shown. Because those who really know grace, really show grace. Finally then, we can take comfort in the fact that blessed are the disapproved. Blessed are the disapproved. See, the problem with this king of heaven heart, sorry, kingdom of heaven heart orientation, the problem with throwing our lot in with Jesus is that it is going in the opposite direction, flying in the face of, rubbing up the wrong way against the world. And the world won't like it. I mean, who does our society say will inherit the earth? Or at least, who will win at life? 
Well, it isn't the meek, is it? We're constantly told success is power, popularity and influence. We're constantly told to insist on our rights, not give them up. Our society values celebrating yourself, not mourning yourself. But we don't need to worry. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, those things don't sound very appealing, do they? Persecution, insults, unfair treatment. Belonging to Jesus, living his way, is costly. Being resented at work or uni because you won't cut corners or tell lies, because you work when the boss isn't looking. Being dropped by your friendship groups for your beliefs. Being accused of being hateful. Being written off as stupid, gullible or just needy because we believe in the supernatural. It's not nice. It's not a surprise. It's what God's own people did to the prophets he sent to help them. And Jesus says, they hate me, so they'll hate you. So what are we to do in the face of suffering, being hated for Jesus? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. How can we be? How can we be happy in the face of persecution? Well, it depends on what your source of happiness or meaning or however you want to word it is. Uh, I looked at some surveys on happiness. Uh, there's one by Ipsos. Uh, and worldwide in 2020, overall, happiness has remained the same. But certain countries have shifted. And so Australia was, in 2019, Australia was top alongside Canada for happiness. But it's gone down to sixth, losing nine percentage points. I reckon they only ask people in Melbourne. But among 20, amongst 29 potential sources of happiness measured, people across the world are most likely to derive the greatest happiness, according to the survey, from, and these are all roughly equal in, in value, uh, health, physical well-being, uh, relationship with partner or spouse, from children, from feeling life has meaning, and from living conditions. Not all that surprising, I reckon most of us could go along with those. But in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us a very different heart's desire, a very different direction to look for meaning in life, uh, a life lived well. Seeking above all, God's blessing, God's approval. That's why we can gladly rejoice in the face of opposition to Jesus. God approves of us as we suffer for him and promises a great reward in heaven. And if that sounds a bit too pie in the sky when we die, well, maybe that's a sign that our affections and priorities have drifted back to things of this world. I hear Jesus call. Let's take our minds and our ideas and our hearts about success, happiness and meaning in life 
take those off ourselves and put them back onto God, trusting in Jesus. To sum up then, we're blessed, all sorted with God, when we know that we're not all sorted on God under our own steam, when we know our desperate need for him to rescue us. We're blessed when we're truly remorseful for our sin, because it means our hearts are lining up with God, and he will forgive us through Jesus. We're blessed if we show that that's where our hearts are by extending that grace to others. And we're blessed when we're hated for having that heart because we only care what God thinks of us and our joy is found in his blessing. So are you truly blessed? Come to God empty-handed as you are and beg for his mercy and know his true blessing.